T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It is 92 degrees at 6.08. It feels steamy. I'm sorry, Jonathan Lowe, it was cool and crisp when I walked out this morning to get my bagels and no. go to my hair appointment. There's nothing. This this only this, – I, um, I know, but, but it, it, it got a lot warmer today. This is something we call Kansas City, Wichita, Little Rock weather. That's I all. lived in Memphis. Believe me. I, I know the heat. I can be, feel it. Yeah, but. this is Memphis weather. That's all it is. Memphis summer. <laughs> this is what it's like in Memphis. And I, is, I don't understand our, our ups and downs. It's like we've been up, we've been down, or we've been down, 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 then we go up, then we go down. Well, early we go in the, yeah, earlier in the week we had a, a really cool uh, couple of days, actually, coming in uh, Thursday, Friday. It was it was fairly, fairly cool for this time of the year, but you're going to get that in summer in Minnesota. You're going to get fluctuations of temperature. We're not going to be 75 all the time. We're not going to be 95 all the time. We're going to go back and forth. I feel like we've been fluctuating a lot. It's, I, it's it's typical. It's weather. Weather <laughs> right, is fickle. As weather are the people is... that bring you the weather, like myself. <laughs> don't tell go. anybody. Don't tell any meteorologist I said that, because if they find out that I said that, I will be I'll be banned from meteorology <laughs> club for life. It, it just it just feels like we've had a lot of extremes where it's been. I mean, it feels extremely warm out, and it is six ten in the evening. This morning was quite pleasant, but it was cr- almost crisp. And then other days this week, it has been extremely crisp. I mean, like the jacket weather, the yeah. sweater, and then yikes. There, there are some people that will look at that and maybe think it's more evidence of climate change. With respect to, to just the daily fluctuations of that, I, I'm, I won't go that far. There, there could be more differences in, in, than from normal. But again, average temperature is just what you've taken over a 30, 50, 100-year period and Oh, they've been temperatures have averaged out to this, so anyway. this is what you can expect to be around. It's not necessarily we're going to hit that every day because the averages say so. Well, overall, I would say that Minnesota summers hit the sweet spot of just having fabulous weather because it is comfortable. Occasionally it gets hot, but it is so lovely and so pleasant and so awesome. And I, I love our summers. I, I've never been to this place, but I would, advise, I would advise San Diego. San Diego has perfect summer weather all year round. That's boring. No, no. <laughs> it's they, boring. They, you, can give, you can give me like not, you can give me 75 seconds of on-air TV time. I'll be fine with that if I can go out and golf in the 75-degree weather. Okay. All right. Listen, we have a great show lined up for you. Um, coming up in this half hour, we're going to talk about the outbreak of measles. I think a lot of people thought measles was over. The outbreak was just, uh, you know, it was something that from the 50s or 60s. Well, there is an outbreak, and it, it was concentrated in the Somali population. Now there are indications that it is uh, spread to other another individual, what we should know, a lot of people still, with all the information we have about vaccines, a lot of people still apparently reluctant, concerned about 
giving their babies, their infants, all the vaccines or the follow-ups. And I get it. I get it. When you have, you know, a tiny little baby and they're so small and they're so precious, it does seem like it's a lot to give them those many injections. But this is a dangerous situation. This is potentially deadly. This is an illness that, that killed, you know, many, many people back in the day. So we're going to talk to an expert about that. Uh, we're also going to talk uh, in the second half hour is retail dead? I mean, the latest store to go out, and I know this is a small store, and many of you may not know about it, but it's called Jimboree, and it's like a little kind of retail store for kids, and I used to enjoy going there, you know, when my kids were little, when I could, like, make them wear whatever I wanted them to wear, and, you know, I, I liked it, and it was reasonably priced, but it was kind of special and sort of dressy. I Anyway... A whole bunch of those stores have gone out of business, and it just seems like all of these retail stores are really suffering these days. And we're going to talk with an expert about that. We're also going to talk in our 7 o'clock hour uh, with Stephen Shear, who is a professor of political science, about the extraordinary developments of this week. And also uh, at 735, really nice guy, super talented writer, Rick Nelson, who has probably the fantasy job for a lot of people. He's the Star Tribune restaurant critic, and he came out with the six best new restaurants so far this year. So we'll visit with him. So keep it right here. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, Esme Murphy along with Jonathan Lowe. Uh, keep it right here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCC. It is 6.15 on a Saturday evening. Esme Murphy with you on a steamy Saturday night. Uh, well, I don't know if you've seen the news about the measles outbreak, which was contained to the uh, Somali-American population. Now perhaps there are indications that there is at least one case that is outside of that. Uh, Dr. Eric Barth is a pediatrician with Alina Health Ramsey and is joining us right now. Dr. Barth, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, yes. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Barth, let me ask you, what is your take on this outbreak of measles? And I know that there are still a lot of people out there who, when they have to get those shots for their those little tiny babies, they are concerned. Of course, of course. And and I understand that. I mean, I'll, I'll have to admit that uh, as a parent myself, there's just a, a little bit of trepidation when my own uh, kids got their shots when they were babies. Uh, because there is, there's nothing in this life that's, uh, that's a hundred percent, right? Nothing that's a hundred percent safe, but you have to, you have to trust that the, um, these, these, uh, these things have been studied for, for decades now. And, uh, many, many studies have proven the, the safety of the vaccines that we give. And, uh, and so that's, that's one thing that you have to kind of keep in mind. In terms of the outbreak that's going on right here, um, what can you tell us about it, and, and how contagious is it? And isn't isn't the measles vaccine one of those that that you get like the boosters? Right. Well, actually, it's it's a two dose series. You get the first dose usually at twelve to fifteen months of age, and then uh, a second dose traditionally around the age of kindergarten. Although those two doses can actually be given as close as one month apart, so that's actually what we're doing right now. Uh, because of the outbreak, is we're giving giving kids that first dose as early as we can after 12 months of age, and then we're we're offering that second one. Uh, either they can come back in a month later, or when they come in, perhaps for their 15 month checkup, we're going ahead and giving that second shot then to try and give them that extra protection. The uh, the it's not strictly speaking a booster. Uh, what it's meant to do that second dose is actually a dose to 
catch the people that didn't respond to the first dose. Uh, so it's not technically speaking a booster, but uh, but that's what we're trying to do. Uh, and of course, the majority of the cases, the vast majority of the cases of measles that we've seen here in Minnesota have been in unimmunized people. All right. And so you actually are changing the practices for all children to try or to say at least um, if you would like, instead of waiting until kindergarten, uh, you can have after that 15 month shot, you can have it a, a month or two later. Correct. Correct. That's that's exactly right. We've changed uh, changed our practice in response to this this outbreak. So and and, so and what, what did you way... when did you change that? Uh, well, it, it, uh, it's it's probably maybe a week or two into the uh, outbreak. Uh, it came out as a as a recommendation. So we've been doing it. Probably we're actually starting to see the kids uh, coming into the clinic now who actually maybe a, uh, a couple of months ago got their, got their measles vaccine because the outbreak's been going on that long. Um, okay. Well, I remember um, my mother telling me about children dying of measles, and, and that still happens, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, for the majority, measles is a benign childhood illness, but there are, you know, if you have enough kids getting it. So if, if nationwide, uh, everybody, uh, children were expected to sort of just get the measles as a, a rite of passage in childhood, uh, a certain number of those kids would get uh, encephalitis, which is a brain infection, or they might get pneumonia, and a certain small percentage of them might die. And so that's the um, why we're uh, so uh, why we emphasize the importance of immunizations, because, again, it's, it's yes, for the majority, it can be a benign childhood illness. But for for a few, it winds up leading to hospitalizations and sometimes even death. What 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 do you, what do you suggest right now to parents of young children um, who, who have gotten? I mean, so the immunization happens at, at the 15 month checkup. Can you get it before your 15 months? Oh. Yeah, twelve months is the is the the earliest at which you can usually get it. Now there are certain circumstances where a child younger than twelve months uh, can get it. Like let's say they're going to be traveling uh, overseas to uh, a part of the world where uh, measles is is endemic, meaning that there's a fair amount of measles out there. You can get it before twelve months of age, but but that actually winds up being an extra dose. The first regular dose can be given at 12 months. The second dose can be given any time after a month later than that. And so, again, what we're seeing now is basically any child that comes in between 12 months and five years of age, if they haven't gotten their first dose, because maybe they're just 12 months or maybe they're 15 months and they haven't gotten their first dose, we're giving it. And if they come in after that, maybe for an 18-month check, and maybe they did get their first one, we're giving a second one. So we're trying to get those done. And it's not an extra. It's not an extra. It's just getting that second dose early. All right. What, um, you know, and, and I, I guess I've always had an extremely good relationship with, with my uh, children's doctor, who's I, I think is just fabulous. And, and I, I he recommends something and I, 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 I say yes. You know, I, I, I trust him uh, completely. There are, are Skeptics out there, what do you say to people uh, who are doubters? And, and even amongst the skeptics on vaccines is none other than the president of the United States, uh, President Donald Trump. 
What do you say to these people? Because every bit of evidence that I've ever read, I'm obviously not a physician, I'm just a mom, says that these vaccinations save people's lives. Well, right. And and it's difficult because a lot of times for, for people, it, uh, it's an emotional thing. It's an emotional response. And, and what we're trying to do often uh, in, the, in the doctor's office or when we're talking about it is we're sort of making it an academic exercise and we're trying to t- talk to people about, about the studies and the facts and the, all that sort of thing. And you try to do that. So, you, so when somebody's in my office, I try to explain about all the studies that have been done that show the safety of vaccines and how vaccines are so much better than, than the diseases that we're trying to prevent um, and you try to have that that conversation, but it's it's difficult. It's really difficult. And I try to be as sympathetic as I can be because I know for a lot of people it's it's an emotional thing. And as you started off saying, it's your little baby there that's right. uh, that's awaiting the well, shot. And yeah, so and, it's and, really hard. Yeah, and it's it's been a while since I've had little babies, but I do remember that. Um, let me ask you. We're chatting with Dr. Eric Barth. He's a pediatrician about Alina Health with Alina Health Ramsey clinic about um, the, the small outbreak of measles that still is something of a concern to those who are public health experts. Um, first of all, let me ask you, what exactly is measles? So measles is a, a childhood virus. So it's a very common virus that uh, is actually very contagious. You know, you can catch it just by being in the same room with someone who has measles. So it's, it's quite contagious. And it causes um, a, a typical uh, appearance where you can get a fever, but also uh, red watery eyes, runny nose, coughing, respiratory symptoms, what I kind of refer to as a measly face, where, where you look at them and they could look kind of miserable with the red watery eyes and the runny nose, and they look like they feel terrible. And then they get this, uh, this fine spotty red rash all over. Right. Um, now, isn't isn't the vaccine, isn't it measles, mumps, and rubella? That is correct. Right. Okay. That's actually, when we're talking, all the times that I've said the measles vaccine, I've really, you, you're right, I've been referring to the MMR, the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. Okay. Because, like, I'm really old, but I did have mumps as a child. <laughs> and I just, yeah. I don't, I mean, I was very small, but I, I, you know, I remember, and I don't know that it was broken down that way, but... Um, is this something that, um, you know, mo- I mean, how is this something that, that most parents, uh, y- you have to have the, the vaccine all, the, the three combo, right? You can't get it just isolated. That is correct. Okay. That is correct. Yeah, it's a, it's a combination now. Yes. Okay. In terms of these childhood diseases, how much success have these vaccines meant in terms of like overall childhood health? Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's it's been tremendous, and I, I uh, this is one of the things that I frequently talk to parents about, and and about how uh, as as I've been around long enough that I remember as a resident, so I'm I'm, I'm a pediatric resident, so I'm studying pediatrics, studying to become a pediatrician, and I remember when little babies would come into the ER with fevers, and we would have to do spinal taps on all of them. Wow. Because we were worried about uh, a bacteria called the pneumococcus and another bacteria called the Hib bacteria, HIB bacteria. And nowadays, because of those vaccines, you don't have to worry about those anymore. And so it's, it's, it's totally changed the way you would approach a febrile infant 
in the ER because uh, uh, they, you know, they, they, you, um, uh, uh, because of those vaccines. And, and, it's, and that's just one example. I mean, uh, there, as we talked about earlier, the, um, the, the advent of the measles vaccine and the chickenpox vaccine have um, made it so that those diseases are much less common and we don't see those rare uh, cases where people were hospitalized or even died. Right. And it's and I remember um, I had the chicken pox. I remember like actually my father had the chicken pox and was as an adult was was extremely ill and, and we all had it. But this was before I think the chicken pox vaccine existed. Is there um, an effort to make outreaches to different communities, um, ethnic communities about why this is important? Because I think that's one of the gaps here that appears to be occurring in our community. That's exactly right. Yes, yes. In this case, in this particular case, and there's there's a lot of groups out there, a lot of families, a lot of parents who have vaccine hesitancy, we call it vaccine hesitancy. Uh, but in this particular case with the measles outbreak, it's the, primarily the Somali community. And there have been uh, attempts to uh, reach out to the Somali community on the part, part of the Minnesota Department of Health and uh, uh, local clinics and things to try and sort of educate and uh, uh, inform the public on the importance of getting these vaccines. In terms of, um, you know, the vaccine, um, you know, trajectory and, and the amount of vaccines, and because I, I feel like that they keep adding them. Overall, do you feel that mo- most people are kind of, you know, sticking with the program? Oh, yes. And, and again, it comes down to that relationship with your pediatrician. Uh, I've been uh, practicing here in Ramsey for 24 years. And so I have that advantage of having been here for a long time and I have that relationship with my patients. In fact, I now have patients who are now parents and bringing in their children to see me, which is kind of fun. But uh, it has to do with that, uh, that relationship. And so for my patients, um, I'm, I'm able to, they have that, that level of trust and they're willing to, to take that leap of faith and go ahead and get the vaccines and that are, that are recommended. Kind of like you said before, where most of my patients, if I recommend it, they say, okay, that's good enough for me. I'm going to get it done. Right. Uh, but one thing I'd like to point out, I know there's a lot of concern about the number of vaccines that are given. Uh, and that's true. There are a lot of pokes, unfortunately, for these little guys. But the thing that's important to realize is the actual number of antigens that we're putting into the bodies of the, the, little, the little children is less than it used to be uh, because they've become much more dated when they make these vaccines. So they've identified exactly what part of the bacteria or what part of the, of the virus called an antigen. They've identified exactly what part is able to create the immune response that we want. And so the Hib vaccine, for instance, only has three or four, depending on the brand that you use, three or four different antigens in it, and that provides the, the immune response. Uh, in the old days, there was the old pertussis vaccine. Mm-hmm. and the pertussis Wh- Whooping vaccine. cough, right? Right. Right. Okay. Which I, somehow I had that too. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> well, a lot of people did. But uh, in the old days, that vaccine had something like 400 antigens in it that vaccine alone. And now the what we call the acellular pertussis vaccine, 
the newer pertussis vaccine has like four. So so if you look at the number of antigens that we're administering, because the shots have become so much more sophisticated, and then you look at the number of antigens that we're giving, we're actually giving fewer antigens now compared with what we used to, even though we're giving more pokes, which is unfortunate. Right. Well, and, and you know, I, I mean, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm older. And I remember talking, like my mother, you know, talking about like the threat of polio and, you know, p- children were kept inside. And, you know, so it, it is these vaccines really have changed so much. But I know that a lot of people remain concerned and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of information or misinformation out there. So Dr. Eric Barth uh, with Alina Health Ramsey Clinic, thank you so much for joining us. We certainly appreciate your input this evening. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Eric Barth, uh, great information. And again, it's something that obviously a lot of us, that some families are turning away from, but the evidence from all the experts like Dr. Barth and, and all the others are overwhelming. And, um, one remains concerned that some of these childhood illnesses that kill so many children uh, may, in fact, be making a comeback. And that's that's pretty scary stuff. All right, folks, we are going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to give you a little weather. And then after that, and it's pretty steamy out. You may want to hear the forecast. And then we're going to talk with an expert about retail. What is happening with retail right now? Keep it right here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It is 636 on a steamy Saturday evening, 92 degrees. Esme Murphy along with Jonathan Lowe here uh, on WCCO Radio. Well, let me ask you this. Is retail dead? Got to ask you, uh, the latest shoe to drop, it's a pretty small store, but if you're a mom and you kind of like to get your kids when they were little, kind of cute outfits as I did, when they'd still wear what you wanted them to wear, you know, you'd go to Gymboree. Well, Gymboree, at least four Gymboree stores are the latest retail shops that are closing. They were in malls all around the Twin Cities. King Banian is the Dean of the School of Public Affairs at St. Cloud State University and is joining us right now. Thank you so much. And am I saying your your last name correctly? It's Banyan, yeah. Banyan, okay. Good, I, good evening. Yeah. Okay, good evening. My apologies. Let me ask you, what what should we make of this? I mean, you know, you've got a nice mall up there in St. Cloud. I mean, how how is that mall doing? Well, I think that mall is doing fairly well, but it's going through significant changes, too. I mean, it's about 15% of employment in the St. Cloud area is retail, and a fair amount of that happens at the mall. And, uh, you know, I think there's still people that want to shop at the mall and shop at the, at the, and at the little uh, shopping centers around St. Cloud. But I wonder what's happening uh, in terms of the amount of business we get on a weekend. Uh, it used to be said that the city of St. Cloud was 60000 on weekdays, 200000 on weekends because people came in to our shopping centers. I think that I think the, that's that weekend number that's changing. Really? Uh, and, and Yeah, I do. I think that that's where, you know, the Amazons and the Walmarts are able to make anyone that knows how to, to deliver goods. You think about living, you know, 25 miles outside of St. Cloud. Now, saying you got to get in the car and go into town for the day. And you also want to do some other things, and instead you can just click on your, you right. can click your mouse, buy your stuff, and have it sent to your house. 
and you don't have to take the drive into town right. anymore. Well, I think those. I, so when you think about Jim Reed, you mentioned, and 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 you know Radio Shack and, and and places like that. I think I think those are all being affected by how cheaply we're able now to transport things from place to place. Uh, the big thing that happened for Amazon Prime Day turned out to be that uh, Amazon. There's now Amazon Prime Air. They have their own airline. To move goods, move goods to you uh, that you want to be there within a day or two. Right. Well, and you know it's interesting. It's like St. Cloud when you think about it. Okay, it's a wonderful community, and that's that's you've got that one sort of big mall. You've got you know some other you know side malls here in the Twin Cities. You obviously have a much bigger population with, with many malls, and and it's a little startling when you go into one of these malls now, which I don't very often, and it's like they're empty. And I I also wonder if it's sort of a, a Something that that is sort of self fulfilling. Like for instance, I I work downtown in downtown Minneapolis, and I I got to tell you, I really enjoyed going to the Barnes and Noble that used to be in downtown Minneapolis because yeah. I like to buy books. So I I really like going there, and um, I also like going to the. I'd occasionally go to the Macy's there to get some makeup or something for my kids, and now both of those are closed. So the book that I wanted, I ended up getting on my iPad a few days ago and then the makeup I guess I'll probably have to order online or if you know the dress style that I like I'll have to kind of go online and look at it but when, when these things sort of shut down it, it drives you even more to the web true and, and for you and me and you live you're living in Minneapolis you've had all kinds you have options I live in St. Cloud we've got the malls and those are fine I mean, I think about I think about the you know places in Greater Minnesota where where that shipment is actually is actually a, a benefit to them. I think I think that's where some of this is happening. Uh, so you know, go back a hundred years ago, and the fact that rather than buy through the the local uh, packaged goods store, you went to a little place uh, that that you could get something by mail order, and that place is called Sears. Well, Sears is probably. Uh, it's on life support. It's not dead yet. But it's certainly, it's certainly, right. uh, it's, it's certainly, uh, uh, it's certainly uh, in trouble. And those places, you know, what we're seeing now, I actually think, well, we saw this kind of a hundred years ago when all of a sudden we had mail order. It's the ability for us to get goods physically to people and virtually to people at cheaper and cheaper prices, and that gets us all a, a better deal. The customer feels better about this, but. Certainly, uh, in places like the Mall of America or Crossroads Mall here in St. Cloud, it's a lot worse. Right, and, and you know, and the Mall of America still seems to be doing pretty well, and they have like an enormous diversity of stores. But even there, I've seen sort of some empty shelves. And also, I, I wonder. Let me ask you about this. And, and we're chatting with uh, King Banyan. He's the dean of the School of Public Affairs at St. Cloud State University. Uh, you know, back in the day. <laughs> You know, before certain aspects of social media, especially the Snapchats and the Instagrams, kids wanted to go and kind of hang out at the mall. Well, now they can kind of hang out with each other virtually. Yeah, they do. They, 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 when they talk about hanging out with each other, it seems like they're actually laying on their beds in their bedrooms with their, with their phone or their tablet and, 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 you know, are in a chat mode with them. So you're right. I think the social aspect of malls has, has kind of gone away, and, and I guess I maybe it's maybe it's my age. I'm not a teenager. Uh, I'm, I agree. I agree with you that uh, there's something lost in that that sense of community. Uh, I remember 
the excitement of being in a Barnes & Noble when it first moved into the town I lived in in Southern California, and just hanging around there and talking to other people about the book you were browsing at that moment, that's gone. And and I'm not sure I'm not sure exactly what replaces that. It's maybe the recommendations on Amazon, but I don't I don't I don't know that that really feels like the same thing. Are there any retailers that are doing it right, like brick and mortar retailers that are doing it right that are are, are somehow breaking through this, or is it just very difficult? Well, I think you know I I think it's going to have to it has to be done by size, and so you have to go to a Walmart before you see someone who's really kind of hanging in there. Walmart tried to fight Amazon Prime Day by cutting prices itself at the same time. Target tried to do it as well. Uh, I think I think it's going to be based on size. I, and and uh, for a mom-and-pop store to continue to to uh, participate in the marketplace, it has to offer services, you know, something that's right. physical and something that's really personal. That, that you just can't get uh, through through an, uh, an internet connection. Right. Um, it's going to be very hard to do. Let me let me ask you this. And again, we're chatting with King Banyan. He's the dean of School of Public Affairs at St. Cloud State University. One of the things, and my husband has a retail furniture store, and he's been talking about this for a long time about about the tax difference, and that yeah. you know if somebody and it's called. Um, uh, showroom shopping, I believe, is, is the term. There are different terms for it. But is that still – is that sort of off the table, you know, that, that if, if somebody does not have – in other words, if somebody does not have a brick-or-mortar store in Minnesota and they sell online, they can still sell to somebody in Minnesota without paying the sales tax here. And for somebody who has a brick-or-mortar mortar store, that's a huge disadvantage because they've got to pay the sales tax. What, that's – what That's what is true. the status of that, and is that sort of dead, or is that you know been washed oh. away? Oh no, it's not dead at all. I mean, I think it's a, a so that that question of of uh, the, the technical uh, tax word is nexus. Do you have a connection to that to that uh, between that seller and that person that state? That is still very much alive. Uh, states have increasingly gotten aggressive in trying to establish what nexus is. So that they can tax internet internet sales, um, and indeed, I th- I think in fact I'm doing this from memory, but I believe Minnesota now can can now taxes all internet sales, but it's still a question. Well, of I think I, I think it might be limited to, to people who have a brick and mortar. I'll, I'll double okay. check, a brick and mortar uh, presence. So, in other words, like I, I guess a Roman board who has got brick and mortar, they would pay it, but. Um, All right. Well, I'll 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 I'll, I'll, I'll defer to your knowledge on that. I, I, I'm just going to say my. My my thought is that that's still very much a live issue, something that you'll probably hear, and it, that has to be settled really on a federal level since it's interstate commerce. Right. The way you eventually get this solved is for there to be a federal solution to it, either by legislation or by or by a court a court action that uh, permits the taxation by states. Is this though something that is just really? Um... A, a natural evolution. I mean, things change. Um, there are cycles, uh, you know, and, and then then you have situations like Amazon now is setting up, you know, sort of distribution centers here. So they're hiring people. Is is this economy just fundamentally changing and, and will it come around? Well, I mean, you have to remember, I think you have to remember that, that 
when you look at Target or Walmart or Amazon or, or eBay or any of those, what they, what they are at, the, at their base is a transportation system, a, trans, a delivery system. You're buying that as much as you're buying the good itself. Can, I, can you get it to me for less than the other person? Because perhaps the cost of the good itself is the same in all places, but if I can get it to you for a dollar less than my or, or quick or more quickly, yeah, I can get it to you tomorrow rather than in three or, days or, or this days. afternoon in an hour. <laughs> yes, I mean, I mean, I mean, imagine, imagine the imagine the idea of having a drone deliver your product at your door at five in the afternoon that you that you ordered at eleven in the morning that came to you from the Whole Foods uh, outlet that uh, Amazon just bought. Right, and and that's and what happens to a Whole Food? Well, let me ask you about you know because here's St. Cloud. It, it's a medium sized city. Um, a lot of people depend on St. Cloud. It is the center. Uh, yet it's close enough to come down here. Certainly, you can order things online. What are, I mean, do you hear from sort of like is there any sort of coverage about the mom and pop stores in your area and what oh, they are doing? Yeah, absolutely. So. So they're very concerned, and, and remember, those stores are the ones that have their names on the Little League teams. Absolutely, as you see, right? So, so if you live in St. Cloud, you you want to support a St. Cloud business, and I I actually personally try to shop at the St. Cloud business because I know those people. I, I again, I get back to to you know, and so they're trying to appeal to me and get me to keep coming, and I get that, and they're going to do more of that and sort of appeal to that. I just don't know how putting your name on on a Little League team's shirt in St. Cloud helps you make sales out in Albany or in Avon. It's it's because they're a different city. Uh, So I I really wonder, I think the small shops actually might in some sense then do a little bit better than those, than the the regional malls. And particularly what I worry about are the shopping centers or what we we call strip malls, right? Right. Uh, Those are, those are the ones where I think to myself, okay, what's the model that keeps them sustained? Uh, and and frankly, I, I don't know what that I don't know what that looks like. I think you put more services in there, things that don't compete with the internet, like a, like a good burrito or a nail salon or something like that. And I think that's what you're seeing evolve into those malls are places that give you services rather than things that sell goods. All right. Because, you know, even like a Target, you know, Target really has taken hits. And I guess the latest numbers for the last quarter were good. But Target, this giant corporation, has taken all these hits as well because they didn't put, you know, in the front end apparently enough investment into – I mean, they they made some terrible investments in Canada, but they also didn't invest in that online presence, you know – quickly enough and, 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 you know, have that online, you know, infrastructure there. And then, you know, the Walmart, you know, is, is continued to like kind of move there. Is this, does this remain like a huge problem for even the big guys? Oh, it's going to be a big, big problem for, uh, for the bigger firms. I mean, Best Buy, Best Buy was in huge trouble. Seems to have made some rally uh, more recently. Uh, Target is another one that, that came to the party uh, second or third, and that's really not a good place to be. Uh, uh, so they, they're in catch-up mode. I, I think they'll do all. I, I think eventually they'll do all right, simply because their size really gives them some advantages. But uh, it, it, if you don't have the size of a Target or a Walmart, um, I think you're going to have a, or, or or Costco. I think you have major major issues going forward. All right. Well, it's an it's an interesting discussion because certainly a lot of people are, are facing and anybody who's been to a mall recently and I, I don't go very often. It's it's remarkable to see it because you go to some of these big malls, even like the Southdales and all these stores are empty. 
And, and you know, I, I remember back, you know, 10, 15 years ago when they were just bustling and it's not the case anymore. And, and you kind of wonder what the future is for these these enormous centers. Um, well, the, one, the, the ones I think about, though, Esme, is actually somebody owns that building, right? Because that's not, that's not owned by the store, so they lease those. What's happening to the buildings, the, the owners of the mall buildings who no longer have less lessors, uh, uh, lessees, excuse me, uh, uh, taking space in, in the mall, I, I would think those are the folks that are, that are really suffering the most. And there, there might be, the, you know, the canary in the coal mine uh, to see what's happening. All right. Well, King Banyan, the Dean of School of Public Affairs at St. Cloud State University, thank you so much for your time this Saturday evening. You're most welcome. Have a good night. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, an interesting discussion. And it is so different. I mean, it really, really is. I mean, when you go to some of these malls, I mean, the Mall of America obviously doing pretty well. Ridgedale seems to be doing pretty well. They've got still have some openings. But you go to some places like Southdale, which used to be kind of it, and it's just empty. Um, interesting discussion. All right, folks. Um, Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock, along with uh, studio coordinator Jonathan Lowe. We are going to take a quick break. We have much more ahead uh, coming up on this edition of Saturday Night with Esme. A lot to talk about, including, and I feel badly about this, in our 8 o'clock hour. We're going to talk about the trend towards cider making. And I wanted to kind of sandwich this in so that Jonathan could be part of this because he's like the cider fan and, and like talking to me about cider. And, we, and I think we started this when we did like a beer segment about like you know breweries and home breweries and, and you know, all the breweries around town, and Jonathan's like got the gluten thing going, and he's like cider, 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 and it is enormous, and it's big, and it's growing, and people are really into it. So we're going to talk uh, about uh, talk with a, a cider maker and owner of the Keepsake Cidery and vice president of the Minnesota Cider Guild, Jonathan. So I know you're going to be off, but you're going to have to listen at eight thirty-five. Okay, all right. Uh, keep it right here, folks. We got a lot more ahead. You are listening to News Radio A3. Esme Murphy with you until nine o'clock on a Saturday night. Still steamy out there, ninety-two degrees. Uh, chatting with uh, Jonathan Lowe in the break about uh, a guest that we have coming up in our eight o'clock hour. Um, the vice president of the Minnesota Cider Guild. Jonathan is like the guy who's like cider, cider. <laughs> yes, yay cider. I don't. I don't. Only drink cider. I well, do, I know, I know. I do but, drink other but I think, alcoholic I think, beverages. I, but I think we had. I think the discussion got started when we had, as I said before, uh, you know, somebody who was from a brewery on, well, uh, of which there are many, but there are also many cider makers. Well, we had this discussion. The, the home brew home brewers convention was a couple of weeks ago. That, you had that on, was it. You had yes. on someone that was talking about that and previewing it, and so we got into the discussion about ciders, and so it, it's it's another line. That people have really started to understand, not understand, but really started to get behind and, and embrace really- here yes. in Minnesota with all, all our wonderful apples. Yes, we are the apple capital of the universe. I think, perhaps. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that to Washington well, State. Well, I, you, but no, University of Minnesota and its ass apples are just the best. I think the well, Honey Crisp. There, there are really good apples here, but again. I don't know if I'd say that. I think we got Washington State takedown, takedown, takedown. The the main two colleges in Minnesota, of which there really aren't any, they don't play for a thing called the Apple Cup every year. Washington does. Well, wait a minute. We have major universities here. I mean, we may not play for the Apple Cup. Who plays for the Apple Cup? But 
Washington, the University of Washington out of Seattle and Washington State University out of Pullman. Well, we can have our own apple cup, darn it all. <laughs> the Honeycrisp cup. All right. <laughs> anyway, a lot more ahead. You got to keep it here. Coming up, we're going to talk with Stephen Shear, professor at Carleton College, about the latest involving Donald Trump Jr. Keep it right here, News Radio 830 WCCO. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.